We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The big questions we're looking forward to for week one. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we're recording on Friday. We got the, the Thursday night opener last night. It was an exciting, high flying game. You messaged me a little earlier. You said, you want to get on and, and talk about Thursday Night Football, talk about what we're looking forward to in week one. So we kind of threw an, an impromptu episode together because, you know, we have already sent a lot of our draft episodes this week. But we wanted to talk a little bit about the pre-week one situation, what, what we're looking forward to. We did. And we had the big shootout Thursday night, as expected. A lot of fun there with the Dallas Cowboys versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ben, we're going to talk a little bit about that game. We'll talk a little bit about our teams and sort of our exposures, how they relate to, to that, how they relate to these games coming up. And then look at you know, all of these games that we have on Sunday and how it works into AFC, NFC, the things that we're looking for. I think that one of the big issues or the big questions about the 2021 season is this sort of split between the haves and the have-nots or the passing juggernauts and everybody else. And you saw that very clearly in ADP where you've got teams like the Buccaneers, like the Cowboys, like the Cincinnati Bengals, where they've got a bunch of guys who are being drafted before the number one receiver for say the Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots, teams like that. And there's this question, and you and I have kind of been talking about this as a theme throughout the offseason, really started with it in our very first episode, but this idea of betting on talent and letting volume kind of play out and not just assuming that everything is going to regress, not just assuming that players on these juggernauts, because they're not going to be able to get the 30, 32% target shares that they can't come out and deliver value. Some people are looking at these ADPs for guys like a CD lamb. Some of the Bengals guys, you know, there was a lot of debate about Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you know, do those ADPs make sense? And I think that we saw on Thursday night that in a lot of ways they do, right? So we see these splits, the Cowboys, it really changed. I think when Michael Gallup goes out, you and I had some exposure to him because of this Thursday night option in some of the leagues that we play. You saw with the Buccaneers, uh, the Mike Evans, the earliest drafted of the trio 
is the one who kind of gets boxed out, even and especially with Rob Gronkowski having the huge game there. Unfortunately for the Cowboys, their tight ends kind of split the value. So people betting on Jarwin, people taking Schultz really late. I mean, Schultz paid off better, but still a little bit tricky in terms of, you know, if that's a tight end score you can use. Maybe start with the Buccaneers here. We had Rob wrote a great article for us on the site about the Buccaneers. And his take was Godwin is a good value. Antonio Brown is a good value. Mike Evans is a red flag guy. And my thought on this, and I kind of mentioned this in terms of the rankings, in terms of my priority targets, that Evans' air yards profile got worse under Brady, whereas Godwin's was still fine, gave him the chance to jump back into that wide receiver two type of range. That Antonio Brown is just this real wild card, right? Because we're getting these amazing reports out of camp about him. And yet you watch what they did last year. He's got the underneath profile. He's not playing the full you know, number of snaps. And then last night we got some answers because a couple of those targets were deep and allowed him to create a lot of value in a hurry, the long catch and then the long touchdown. At the same time, I guess, so I got a few shares of Brown late because of the Thursday night thing in some leagues I did where he made sense at that spot. It's kind of exciting to have him there. But once we move into a week where we can't just play him retrospectively, then I guess I still have some concerns because the, the Buccaneers are in this shootout, right? And there were a lot of plays in the second half of that game where you're like, where's the guy who dominated the first half? <laughs> you know, why is it Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin out there when Antonio Brown supposedly is the best player on this team? Yeah, it was a really interesting game. Uh, in my offseason, Stealing Signals right up, I, I talked about some concerns about Evans and Godwin because of Brown, because his targets per out run were still very strong last year. He didn't run as many routes, but he still pretty clearly had this ability to, to earn and be, be, a, be a key part of the target uh, equation. And it, it certainly looked, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get far enough along that line to then say I wanted to be targeting Antonio Brown, I wasn't I wasn't on Evans very much. I was on Godwin a little. I think the way I would have described that a little is, is some of the ways that, that that you've talked about some some other players, maybe like a Mike Williams, where um, we have some separation concerns. I, you know, Evans has always been this big-bodied receiver. Last year, we saw them give him the opportunity to make plays, especially in the red zone on some jump balls and some things. I do think he's certainly still going to get plenty of looks and plenty of opportunities, but I think last night was very concerning for his value. I, I think a lot of people have said it sort of wasn't because he ran a lot of routes and things, but it's concerning in the sense that this is a, a group of receivers that there are a lot of options. And Evans is the one that you sort of have to trust a little bit and throw him open a little bit and those types of things. And if Brown and if Godwin are able to run routes where they're able to just more or less get wide open, and you don't have to deal with the contested catch element. I mean, I think that's a pretty big concern for Mike Evans, as much as I've always been, you know, a very big Mike Evans fan. But yeah, I had a little bit of Godwin. I never really got around to applying that logic where I was concerned about Evans and Godwin's ADPs to bumping Brown up su substantially. And I, I would say I'm still a little bit concerned his age and all these things. But certainly last night, he looked like he might be one of the key players of the entire football season. He had those breakout catches early and yeah i mean he looks good i still 
would be skeptical that he's the old Antonio Brown. If he were, then, you know, you would see him used a little bit more, but I think Evans has some huge issues because his, his best profile doesn't fit with the things that Brady does the best where the other two guys really do. Chris Godwin is a star. And so, I mean, that's, that's going to hold him down. And we even saw him get open for the deep pass. If he's able to, you know, catch the ball, where he's got to turn over the other shoulder there, then, I mean, he's looking at a 30 point game. So uh, it was exciting to go back through some of the lineups and see that we have Godwin on that team that we drafted with Davis. That team has a lot of upside. If Godwin goes on to be a star there, anybody who's drafting on Saturday and um, has any interest in that, you can still go back and listen to those draft shows with Davis. They were a lot of fun. Ben, the thing that bothered me the most about Thursday night was seeing Leonard Fournette go out there for the first snap, uh, someone who is simply not a good player, right? And then we see Ronald Jones, he gets penalized for the fumble. Uh, Fournette does not get penalized for basically doing a volleyball set to the defense on almost the next play, ruining that drive. Uh, we also have the situation where you had talked a little bit about should the Cowboys have gone for that field goal? Should they have gone forward on fourth down, try and end the game there, not give the ball back to the Buccaneers? It was really that last drive that we first saw Gio Bernard. I was surprised by that. We had heard that he was the third down back in practice. He did some things with the first team offense in the preseason. As soon as he gets in there, then he makes some guys miss. He catches the ball. He gets them some important yardage. Fournette was terrible as a receiver in that game. I can understand them wanting to go with Fournette because it doesn't allow the defense to see the tendencies, but Jones is so much better as a runner. Bernard's so much better as a receiver. And to see Bernard in there late, I think that we can see kind of what the offense could be. Uh, Are we going to continue to have to sit through Leonard Fournette? What do you think about this running back situation? Yeah, so Arians had an interesting quote today that basically said Jones dealt with some, some mental I, I mean, it, it, it sort of sounded like he was saying we benched him because he was lacking confidence after that fumble or, you know, he didn't. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, it whatever, whatever whether it's Arians just likes Fournette more or not, it was very clearly that contrast that we felt like we saw a lot last year where, where Jones would sort of get penalized and benched when he did bad things, but Fournette would, you know, get additional chances. I mean, I, I know that probably sounds a little bit biased, but it was very clear last night you know jones loses a fumble fournette comes out and is very directly responsible for an interception and then fournette's back out for the next series jones i don't think plays another snap the rest of the game uh what, whatever the reasons are maybe it is something where they feel like ronald jones you, you know gets too down and and fournette is able to you know ba- you know stay more balanced as as he performs poorly I, i'm not sure uh it does seem like those trends from last year are, are very much going to continue this year. At the same time, like I, I'm not, there's a lot of guys on, on Thursday Night Football that I was bummed that I didn't have a lot of exposure to. Len Fournette is very, very much not one of them. Uh, I <laughs> joked on Twitter that he's the only guy that has ever uh, switched to a single digit number and somehow looks slower, which people got a kick out of, I think. And is is true. He looked like an offensive lineman running around in a number seven jersey. It was, uh, anyway, Leonard, Leonard Fournette, looks like he's probably a value for now. I do think we're going to have to deal with him. The lack of geo was a bit shocking. I didn't anticipate that. I didn't anticipate all the Leonard Fournette receptions. I think he had five at the same time, whatever the reasons for the Ronald Jones benching, I, I don't anticipate will continue every single week. And then, so you're just going to lose some, some snaps from Fournette and 
to your point about sort of player skill, I, I do think that Gio is going to ultimately play more on passing downs just because it's going to become very clear that he's their best option there. You had mentioned the Ravens. How much should they be offering the Buccaneers for Ronald Jones right now? I mean, we're talking about like a 1,500-yard rusher in Ronald Jones in Baltimore. I hadn't thought about that trade, but it feels like the Ravens could use someone who's not Latavius Murray, not Devontae Freeman, not Le'Veon Bell. Right, exactly. Um, they, they could use, uh, you know, between the tackles rusher, somebody that uh, is a little younger as well. <laughs> I, you know, I expected them to actually add some type of younger back. I don't know who. I mean, we all, we all hear the available free agent running backs, and it's always, you know, all the guys that we have been aware of in the past in terms of past production, but a lot of them are kind of over the probably over the hill. And so then you have this question of, you know, guys that kind of come out of nowhere. I kind of expected that they would add somebody who was cut out of, you know, some other camp that had looked good. That was sort of a little bit more anonymous, but we have not seen them make that move. We've seen them add a, a bunch of, a bunch of older guys. I, yeah. I think Jones would be a great fit with the, with the Ravens. I wanted to ask you about, Oh, we wanted to talk a little bit about, and you brought this up about how, both of these offenses had multiple weapons. We knew that going in. And you talk a lot about sort of being willing to play certain offenses through cheaper players. And you talked about the haves and have-nots. We spent a lot of time on that back in our early weeks. And I couldn't agree more. I think that is like the biggest trend that is going to impact fantasy going forward that people are not understanding enough yet. I mean, I, I've harped before on this idea of don't worry about who the number one wide receiver is in an offense. It matters way more to me uh, what the offense is capable of right now than whether the player is the number one receiver in his offense. That That is almost irrelevant. And you can extend that to like some of these bad offenses and say, well, who's the player that can actually make this offense look interesting? Like people have talked a lot about how Marvin Jones is going to be the number one wide receiver. If Marvin Jones is the number one wide receiver for Jacksonville, their passing offense isn't going to be good for fantasy. I'll just tell you that right now. LaVisca Chenault is the player that if he is what we think he could potentially be, their passing offense actually might get better and might be interesting in sort of the way that A.J. Brown made the Titans passing offense a lot better. But I'm way more interested not in that discussion at all about who the number one is uh, on bad offenses or even on good offenses than I am about whether or not the offense can support a lot of people. And and what you were talking about is something we talked about a lot this offseason, this idea of playing through the cheaper options. Antonio Brown looks like he was the the best value play, certainly, in that passing game. And, and Rob Gronkowski, potentially, even to a certain degree, after one game, looks that way. Godwin, we mentioned, also looked great. In Dallas, I, I thought Michael Gallup's role looked a lot better than most of last season. I thought he was on his way to a really big day before he got hurt, and then we saw everything sort of consolidate to Mari and CD, and they both had very nice games as well. But you can see the obvious impl implications as you look over to you know Cincinnati and think about like Tyler Boyd, who was somebody that we targeted in almost every single draft, and you look to some of these other teams where the cheaper options, you know, you could say even Miami. Will Fuller was going really late because there was uncertainty. I don't know that that passing offense is going to be super explosive, but there are some of these places where it was interesting to play the cheaper option or because there was uncertainty about who the number one was, at least a cheap option in the case of a guy like Will Fuller. What, what do you think about what we saw last night and sort of what that meant for those trends? I think it works very positively both ways in that you look at CD lamb and people are concerned about that price because of Cooper, because of Gallup, because of Ezekiel Elliott 
and because they have two tight ends that they probably want to get the ball to and thinking, okay, well, it's going to be hard for him to pay off at that ADP. And yet what we saw is if your passing offense is explosive enough and as many points as he scored last night, I mean, there was some opportunity for Lamb to have like a 40 point game. Right. And so we can see that the value is going to be there. It, it would be hard pressed to imagine a scenario in which he doesn't pay off. For me, it's actually easier to think in terms of the upside and how high the floor is for someone like Lamb than in the Seahawks situation, for example, where you know DK Metcalf was someone that we had to look at a little bit in terms of if you're drafting in the one, two, three area, you know, Metcalf versus Brown versus Lamb. I think that Metcalf is going to have a very big season, but I think there are some ways that the Seahawks offense could be taken away, could be shut down a little bit like we saw over the second half of last season. That's not what I'm predicting. I think they're going to be successful, but I think that when you have the weapons that the Cowboys have, then it's difficult to take them all away. And especially if they're committed to the past the way they were, right? So I think that, you know, now we look at the Cowboys. And one of the questions that I had, one of the concerns I had about Ezekiel Elliott is not just the fact that his profile was declining, that he's been a lot less efficient, a lot less explosive, doesn't have quite the receiving numbers that you need, but the potential for the Cowboys to go to a Buffalo Bill style offense. And so I feel like we saw some of that last night. Tony Pollard, you know, for Elliott's value, they played on on the same plays sometime last night. Pollard looked better, right? I mean, he looked like the more explosive player. So, I mean, Elliott's going to have himself a good season. Again, that offense is too good for him to not. But if we're now looking at Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard in a similar light to Singletary and Moss, it's again a situation where you kind of would prefer to have the cheaper guys. I don't think it's going to go all the way in that direction. I mean, don't get me wrong. Elliott is still someone who, you know, should have been like a, a third, fourth round pick but I don't think he should have been a first round pick, right? And we're looking at the ways that the offense plays the best. I really like Lamb there. I was stunned by how Cooper played. And I think that that's great for both of those guys. If Gallup had been out there, it would have been interesting to see kind of how that would pay off. And so then the question is, you know, what are we going to see from some of these other teams? So this is kind of our question of the week. Uh, is week one going to tell us or answer some questions that give us a real sense. Is it going to be misleading? Now we know that there are going to be misleading outcomes for week one. You know, are we going to see something similar from the Steelers, for example, where maybe Harris isn't as involved as people think because they've got these three dynamic wide receivers? Yeah, that's a that's a great point and great one to transition to. I will say, and I want to make this note, Mike Sando uh, is over at the Athletic, longtime ESPN guy. He noted this was the the on a tweet last night that I'm going to put into my week one stealing signals column. This was the NFL's first since uh, a, a 2019 game. Uh, the first game where one team had 390 yards passing and the other team had 375 yards passing. Those are obviously pretty arbitrary cutoffs, but I do think it's pretty interesting. We had a really high scoring 2020. It's been a couple of years now before we've seen a game or since we've seen a game that had this much pass volume. Dak threw for actually over 400 yards. Tom Brady had 379. They combined for seven touchdowns. They both threw three scores, uh, at least three. Brady had four. And especially like on the Dallas side, you talked about Zeke. The Tampa Bay's rush defense is, is very, very good. And, and so, yeah, we saw all those trends from Dallas's passing game, but they threw 58 times. I, I, I think that was a great sign for Dallas going forward. At the same time, I don't at all anticipate that Dallas is going to be throwing 58 times every game. Right. And so there's going to be a lot more rushing opportunity for those offenses. Tampa on the other side, 
might actually throw <laughs> throw close to as much as they did. They threw 50 times, but their running backs, I don't think they have as much interest in, in incorporating. But it, it certainly was this game being a shootout, being a back and forth game. We know we know how that uh, elevates play volume. That was something that, and especially as much as the mic the microscope was under this game. Like I, I have a main event draft on Saturday night. I'm expecting some of these guys to go incredibly high. I saw a tweet today already that uh, in one draft, Rob Gronkowski went ahead of George Kittle in the third round. That's going to be sort of the the signal, a little sneak preview to week one stealing signals is like, or, or the noise, I would say, to, to some degree that the overall pie for both of these passing games is going to be massive, but it's not going to be this massive every single week. It just sort of can't. That's just the reality of the NFL. It's sort of what you alluded to with Pittsburgh. We might see the same thing. The Bills come out throwing a ton, and then Pittsburgh actually has to throw a lot more than they want to to keep pace, and we might see a week one where Pittsburgh throws a ton, and Najee Harris doesn't do very well, like you said. Um, I was looking at some props and, and reading some props articles, and, and Najee Harris's projection puts him as a, a nice over bet for his rushing yards in week one, and that was not a, a bet that I wanted to take because of that exact thing that you just pinpointed. I was a little concerned that – this would be the game that the Steelers throw a lot to, to keep pace. And so we will see some of these results, some of these sort of shootouts that are not going to be necessarily indicative of the full season trends right away. I think that was a big takeaway from, from Thursday night as well. For my, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about the Saturday drafts and stuff, because for my Saturday draft, I'm thinking, you know, I would love to get Godwin, but I'm thinking Antonio Brown, God, uh, Gronk, all these guys are going to go so high because you can get those points into your week one lineup that it just makes sense to not be on them because as good as they were, I mean, you kind of alluded to Brown being very good early and then not necessarily continuing that throughout the game. It was just in part that this game was so massive in terms of the overall, particularly the overall passing production. In some weeks, the pie is not going to be as large. And obviously some weeks, Mike Evans is going to do a little bit more. And some weeks, you know, Michael Gallup, assuming he's not injured seriously and, and for you know a long period of time which would be a, a huge bummer some weeks he's going to do more and Ezekiel Elliott's going to do more and so yeah I mean that's that's certainly something to keep an eye on and I think Pittsburgh's a good example of where that could happen on on Sunday do you think that Lamb now is into that range where you would take him as the fourth receiver off the board I mean he wasn't even the highest scoring receiver on his own team but when we look at some of the targets that he had, some of the close hookups, some of the, you know, the target volume and his usage all over the likely touchdown upside. I mean, is he someone that you would take over a Calvin Ridley or is Calvin Ridley going to be that guy every week because he's got Kyle Pitts, but he's not sharing with those other receivers of that caliber. I know it's a really good question. I, I think I would, I would move Lamb up certainly based on his performance. And I know, you know, some people, I've had some discussions with, with my buddy Mike Leone about Amari versus CD and, and how big that gap should be this offseason. Obviously, Amari outscored him. Some people will, will hear this and say, well, why are you moving Lamb up? And, and I, I think you'd have to move Amari up too, obviously. He just had a massive game. You can put that in your week one lineup, and, and, and he looked great. I agree with you. I thought he looked fantastic, better than I expected him to look um, based on some of the rehab and things that we've been hearing this offseason. At the same time, I, I would say, you know, I, I don't want to, try to understate what, what Amari did, but a lot, I, I feel like a, a decent number of his catches were sort of uh, in situations where there were sort of easier routes. He was just kind of running kind of curls or shorter routes. That's great. That's, those are all fancy points. That's all fantastic and everything. I just, I don't know that what we saw from him will be every week. What we saw from Lamb, I thought was really interesting the way they were using him early 
trying to give him the ball. People were concerned about the drops. I'm very much not, and I know you're not either. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was just as uh, enthused. Uh, perhaps, you know, when you, when you talk about their actual point scored is sort of the point. I was just as enthused by Lamb as I was by Cooper, even though Cooper scored a lot more points. So um, that'd be that'd be an interesting question about whether to take him at four. What, what would you? How? Where would you fall on that? I think I would take him at four. You get those points, and I just think he's going to be that good, right? And we've had him as someone we projected for the 2022 first round. I mean, if we have him in the 2022 first round, he comes out and has this week one. Uh, it's just everything is lining up for that kind of season. So now we'll see. Uh, if some of the other guys we projected for that range also blow up in week one, and then we'll talk about some of those possibilities right after this. Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio podcast network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, everything you need to help you for that in-season success as a loyal podcast listener you can get yourself a 10 percent discount to a road of his nfl pass just by adding the code rv radio 2021 at checkout or go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information let's go get those championships i hope you enjoy the podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So then we have a couple of... I mean, every single game in week one is just going to be so fascinating. But I do want to transition to the Cincinnati Bengals. We've talked about them a lot. We're very heavily invested in their offense. They play the Minnesota Vikings in week one. Uh, based on the things that you are looking at for some of your betting articles, if, if we can kind of bring that in, are you are you fired up about this game? Are we going to see Justin Jefferson and then this trio of Bengals receivers have a similar kind of week one shootout. A couple other interesting games from that perspective. Is Baker Mayfield going to be able to keep up with the Chiefs? You know, where are we on, on some of these games where we could see the, the big time offenses and maybe a second offense with some intriguing players have to chase and create some of these outcomes as well? Yeah, I think um, probably from a DFS perspective is the best way to say it. I think both of those are two games that you highlighted that I'm looking at as games that I'm, that I'm you know, interested in stacking and excited about. I think there's a, a, a very strong possibility of what you said about the Bengals coming out throwing and sort of forcing Minnesota to play a little bit faster than maybe they'll want to most weeks. At the same time, if Minnesota were to get out ahead or, or find ways to, to score early, if uh, the Bengals aren't as willing to just cut Burrow loose as we saw the Cowboys being willing to with Dak, 
that could be a little bit of a slow game. I think the the Kansas City Cleveland one's going to be really interesting. I you know, certainly we know Kansas City is going to be willing to pass on early downs and in non-obvious passing situations. Cleveland showed all of of the late part of last season a willingness to throw a little bit more than we had become accustomed to. They're still going to rely on their running game to some extent, but I think we're going to see a lot of pass volume from Baker Mayfield in week one, and that's very exciting. Um, Yeah, those are both really interesting ones. Where do you fall on uh, some of the Cleveland options? We know they were pretty discounted, especially, and we we picked up Mayfield in one of our mains as a potential week one starter. We're big Jarvis Landry guys. We even stashed out Beckham in our dynasty league at a really cheap price. Do you think they're going to have a big week one? I think that they will. I think that the Chiefs defense gets a little bit underrated at times, but I do think that Mayfield with what he showed down the stretch, you know, we're talking about this difference between being one of the most run heavy teams really before the Nick Chubb injury after. And when he comes back, you know, they're up to this like 60% pass range and Mayfield looked good doing it. Right. So I talk a lot about my very strong belief that I think if you're trying to protect your quarterback, you're actually hurting him. You need to be able to pass on first down, pass on second down, and stay out of third downs if you want to give your team the best chance to win, your quarterback the best chance to be passing when he doesn't have the pass rush you know, in his face. People don't know what you're going to do. Now, with the Browns, they have these two elite running backs and probably Nick Chubb as the best pure running back in the NFL. So they're going to use those guys. The Chiefs are not great at stopping the run. That's almost by design, right, where they don't really care that much if you run on them. And if you run on them and you have to run a lot of plays to score touchdowns, they're like, that's fine. I mean, we're going to score so many points. We're going to score so fast. You know, you're going to be running the ball on us. You get the third down. You know, you have to punt every once in a while. And, you know, you look up and all of a sudden you're blown out. And so uh, it'll be an interesting game from that perspective because what the Browns do the best fits into what the Chiefs don't do that well, but also don't care about because they're kind of suckering you in. And so that dynamic, I think, will be interesting. It'll be exciting if the Browns do a little bit what they did to the Steelers in the playoffs last season where they got up and then they kept the pedal to the metal. I mean, I... I'm a huge Chiefs fan. People know I grew up in Kansas City. The Mahomes era has been this just sort of magical occurrence. We're hoping the Chiefs, you know, go undefeated, win the Super Bowl, all those kinds of things. And yet I want to see some exciting Chiefs games. And so if the Browns got up and it was a shootout and Mahomes had to show what he can do coming from behind in week one, I mean, that would be fine for me. And I think it would be fun for the fans. So I, I think that that game will be a blast. So I'm really looking forward to that one. We mentioned the Bengals game, but how do you think that this is going to break down? Now we've talked a lot about how, you know, Higgins we think is the lamb of that team going to have a huge season. Jamar Chase, the real wild card, he's been coming on. He has a chance, especially over the second half of the season to be someone who's so good that we were drafting him in round five. And in round five, I mean, you've got some other good options. And then Tyler Boyd sort of sliding down to the back of six, beginning of seven, I mean, you're talking about the best possession receiver in football in an elite passing offense that should not be discounted to that range. And so he's a no-brainer pick there. Do you have kind of a a feel for if one of these guys – I'm assuming that the answer is, okay, they all have a ton of upside. It'll be exciting to see. But do you have any kind of gut feeling about, okay, this guy is going to be the breakout star. This guy is the real risk at this point. I wish I had more of one, less of the other. Well, I think Chase is, you know, concerning and, and 
would would be the answer to that question. I do think that the Bengals, uh, you know, as I wrote in Ceiling Signals a couple of weeks back when his drops became the big issue, they're so invested in him with a top five pick. They're they're going to get the discussions of you know Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase, and that and that you know conversation is going to continue throughout this year and into into next year, unless Chase just completely puts it to bed. I get the impression, and it's sort of my opinion that they're going to want to get Chase going earlier. Even, even earlier now than, than you'd expect. I mean, it's certainly possible that because of his struggles, they're going to be concerned. But some of these most recent quotes about him des- describing the NFL ball and things have been sort of taken out of context. They've been uh, put, in, put in some headlines, like he's using that as an excuse for why he can't catch, when in actuality he was more or less just asked for those differences because that had already been discussed a little bit. And so he sort of described some of it from his perspective. He ended up tweeting about that quote tweeting a pro football talk article and saying this is not what I was actually saying. I'm I'm pretty much expecting he'll get five or six catches right away in week one because they'll they'll make sure of it. <laughs> you know, that's sort of my been my my mindset on it. At least that would be sort of the way I would play it. And I and I think especially as home underdogs, you have Joe Burrow back. I, I mean I know there were some concerns about how he looked and how he felt in the pocket and those things, but we just saw with Dak that the Cowboys were willing to sort of let him go. If they're going to play Burrow, I don't think they're going to play him just to be really conservative. I mean, they might run a little bit more than we would like to see and a little bit more than the Cowboys did. They don't, they don't have quite the same sort of matchup that the the Cowboys were facing against Tampa Bay's run defense. But I, I, I do expect Cincinnati to come out and throw. And I expect to see Higgins perform well and Boyd. And then also for Chase to have a little bit more. I mean, I think he'll probably lag early in terms of production, but I do think we'll ha- he'll have a little bit more production than, you know, maybe the the latest trends would, would, would suspect. So I think it'll be somewhat balanced, actually. I guess the most concerning report of the last couple of days is that Joe Mixon was sort of the MVP of training camp. Now, Mixon is a, a solid NFL starter and does have a three down skill set. So a valuable player in reality, potentially a very, very valuable player in fantasy with the three down skill set. They're saying he's going to stay on the field for third down when they don't have other third down guys. So that is not a surprise. Do you have a concern that despite having Joe Burrow and these three wide receivers that they would try and run the offense through Mixon early in the season? A little bit. And I think they might in the, in the first half and those things. But again, they are at home and they are underdogs. And so you, ha- I don't know, I, I kind of incorporate those two things. Some of it will... will um, be influenced by how Minnesota comes out. If they come out hot and they're able to score, I think that's going to push Cincinnati to, to throw right away. If they come out and have one of those Kirk Cousins dud games, this game could be somewhat boring and Cincinnati might fall into a shell and, and run a little bit. You know, that's sort of been my my read on it. I, I would love to see Cincinnati be willing to pass early, but you can see where this game would lead to, to a little bit of the running on both sides. But that's why I kept saying that the home underdogs thing, I think the fact that they are at home makes it a little bit more comfortable, a little bit easier for them to, um, to try to do some of those things on offense, try to throw more on offense. And then the fact that they are underdogs, you know, usually sharp coaches are, are willing then to consider some, some more aggressive decisions. I would say, I mean, you don't always want to assume that the coaches are going to make the right decisions, but you know, we saw it even from Mike McCarthy, who I don't, I don't know that I would describe as sharp necessarily, but he came out throwing a lot more than I thought. I thought they might fall into that trap and run way too much early on and try to give Dak sort of an ease it back in type of game. They certainly didn't do that. They, they came out and they threw and threw and threw. So, yeah, I'm hoping that we will see some some 
passing early, some quick passes. Uh, like I said, I, I think they're going to set up some things for Chase to try to get the ball in his hands, maybe some quick hitters, some bubble screens, try to let him make some plays after the catch uh, and get some easy catches early on as well. So, yeah, no, I think that's one of the more interesting games. I, I, I Again, I don't have like a strong, strong lean. A game I want to ask you about is Philadelphia and Atlanta. I'm looking at that one for DFS and stuff. I mean, I think it's in the dome. It's in Atlanta. I, maybe it was a little too low on Jalen Hurts this offseason. I think Jalen Rager is, you know, obviously you have Devonta Smith and we have all the buzz for Quez Watkins. Jalen Rager is sort of the the forgotten man there, but three pretty good receivers. You and I talked a little in, in some of our more recent episodes that Philly is is planning to trot out those three receivers with all, all with pretty strong prospect profiles and have Jalen Hurts as this, uh, you know, obviously dual threat player. At quarterback, this offense could be a little bit more exciting than we're giving it credit for. And then you think of the way that Atlanta has looked as a team in the last several years, how they've gotten into a lot of shootouts, how they've thrown a ton. They have Kyle Pitts there. How do you expect Pitts to come out right away? What do you what are you thinking of like the Philly receivers might look like? Well, you mentioned this is one of the more fun games. And I think it's fun from the perspective of we don't know what's going to happen, right? Week one is going to answer a lot of our questions. Is Kyle Pitts going to have a 20 plus target share? right away is he going to look athletic compared to nfl players and be able to separate and take those julio jones types of targets now i mean that won't be the exact same routes the same offense that kind of thing but is he going to be the dynamic threat that allows matt ryan to succeed with a somewhat weak arm right and one of the things that matt ryan has always done is use his receivers very well use the dynamism from his weapons to cover up the lack of strength that he has. And I mean, that sounds like a, a very backhanded compliment and it is in a way, but it's important to be able to do those things. Right. And so you see him, you know, with Calvin Ridley, Ridley leading the NFL in air yards per game by like 20 last year. Right now we do know that some of those are more or less throwaways, but with Ridley, we have this profile where he's a deep receiver. He's underneath receiver. He's a smaller guy, but he's a red zone threat. And so I'd ask you, you know, would we move Lamb ahead of Ridley? But I think it'll be interesting to see if he can do some of those kinds of things now that we're kind of a year further on, because things do change in the offseason. It's not the same group of guys exactly. You have the dynamic changing. You have, in this situation, you know, the head coach changing. You're going to have offensive differences. Can he maintain the things that he was able to do last season once Julio Jones was gone? Can he be the guy who deserves to be kind of the borderline one-two pick in drafts when the big four are gone so both Ridley and Pitts I think are very interesting from that perspective uh, you and I talked about the fact that we're actually pretty enthusiastic about Pitts but couldn't ever find it in ourselves to really pay the price that he's at because it's just so high there with guys like Hawkinson and Andrews right after him because the price is so high I'm not that worried about being wrong I mean the people that you're really worried about being wrong on are guys who are being drafted in the seven, eight, nine, ten? Guys like you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers players who are cheaper. You know, if you're wrong on Allen Robinson at his price, then not a big deal. If you're wrong on Kyle Pitts at his price, not a big deal. The one that could be interesting and that you and I kind of talked about a little bit, and then you know had the 101 and the 102. Then it was it, it was both very exciting for me and kind of heartbreaking that as soon as I stopped drafting from with you, I got a 101 and a 102. <laughs> Oh, you got a 102 as well. That's fantastic. Right. So 
did get to have a CMC team, did get to have a Camara team. Those guys. Yeah, the one-on-one was hilarious. We, we were in the uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time slot three straight days, and then you were there with Blair the next day and got the one-on-one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, And uh, Blair and I did take Lamb and did take Gronkowski. So that team, you know, I don't want to make you too jealous, but it's off to a decent start. <laughs> no, I'm not jealous at all. Uh, not, not even a little bit. So the, the Keenan Allen, I mean, that one – you know, if he has a 40% target share, which I mean, 40% obviously is ridiculous, but it's starting to seem like Keenan Allen could challenge the all-time record for target share when you look at how things are kind of collapsing around him, you know, with Eckler, then all the rest of the receivers being bad, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think that the, this Pitts dynamic, I mean, he's he's the person that we all want to see in week one along with Jamar Chase. So I like that one. I'll throw the, the Eagles part back on you. I like all three guys. I think Devontae Smith is going to maybe do a little bit more than people are thinking. He was not the big story in training camp a little bit because Hertz is the story, because Rager is the story, because he missed some time with that injury. But I expect him to be good. I expect Rager to go out there and look good. Are we getting some trade offers for him? The question in Philadelphia will be how much of this offense is a Hertz offense? How much of this offense is a Sirianni offense? There has been this tension in terms of how they're being reported on and supposedly uh, the resistance of the head coach to do the things that the quarterback does well, but that could be trumped up, right? I mean, this idea that Sirianni is actually trying to help Hertz develop as a legitimate NFL quarterback, as opposed to this thing where he's undermining him, he's bringing in Gardner Minshew, you know, they want Deshaun Watson. I would not be surprised if Hertz comes out in week one and looks very good in this offense. Yeah. I, and I, I wouldn't really either. I think, you know, we talk about how who, who's going to produce. It is very challenging. We haven't seen Smith yet. We haven't really seen Watkins at all, barely uh, at all at the very end of last year. We saw some of Rager. He wasn't necessarily great, but I think there's plenty of, of strong article, uh, arguments for a year two breakout that we've talked a lot about. And and there's been positive reports about all three. So that's one I don't have a strong feel about at all. I'm, I'm going to be very interested in, you know, for things like DFS and what their ownership is looking like and what they're projecting for and, probably will have some exposure to those guys because I do think this game could be really, really fun. What about Washington? I got a question that you, um, it, it's it's very it's become very funny because people monitor Sean Siegel's actions. And when you make these rankings changes, I start to get questions about why because no, no one can contact Sean. Apparently, you moved Ryan Fitzpatrick down your QB rankings. I never even actually went and looked. I have no idea how far down. We, we targeted him a lot. They're hosting the Chargers. You talked about how they're sort of imploding. I think that's a more fragile offense than, than than a lot of people do. I mean, they're a very exciting team, the Chargers. New coaching staff, though, and th- there are concerns behind Keenan Allen. You, you just talked about it. He, he could have a massive target share. But I do really like Herbert and the skill set there. So this looks to me, this Chargers-Washington game, they both also have some pretty strong defensive lines. It could be a game that – um, the defense is impact, but it looks like one that could be a little bit explosive on the offensive side too. I want to get your take though on the on the Fitzpatrick thing and, and whether you think this could be a fun game week one. Well, it, it is fun. It, if someone's going to be answering questions about my rankings, I'm glad that it's you because I mean <laughs> you'll do you'll do the best job of that. I, ben, let's leave this as a little bit of a cliffhanger, and we'll tease that into our second show here, where we're looking at the most important questions that will be answered 
in week one. It is kind of amusing because I did have a couple of drafts with Blair and it felt like Blair was the other person who really wanted Fitzpatrick. Whereas most of the people I drafted with were, were fine with other people. Blair wanted Fitzpatrick. And yet when we were in the drafts together, we ended up having to go with Matt Ryan. So neither one of us were able to get Ryan Fitzpatrick in those drafts, but we'll come back. We'll have a second episode on this. The questions for week one, that'll do it for today's special episode of Stealing Bananas. We're coming to you because we're so excited about week one. I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at yards per Gretch. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. It's time, right? Stealing Signals is going to come out this next week with all of the information that you need to know Make sure you get that the best newsletter in the fantasy industry. Uh, we'd love to have you at Rotoviz. We're doing all kinds of cool things. We have different types of articles covering the different formats, and we're going to have a lot of new stats for you. The guys are working on the tools. Everything you want to know, it's going to be there. You can get a 10% discount using the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Thank you so much for leaving the ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast app. It means a ton to us. Please subscribe to our feed. You'll get the sort of special episodes as soon as they release like this one. So follow us there on Ceiling Bananas. And until we chat with you again, have a good one. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply